You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome, good afternoon, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. From Friday Drive Time Show, 10th of March, 2023, with myself, Kayyum, Brother Raza, and Brother Daniel. Welcome, assalamu alaikum, peace be on you, Brother Daniel. Wa alaikum assalam, peace be on you and peace be on all the listeners. Uh, great to be back. Great to be back after a few weeks. Yes, we have missed you. Um, Thank you. Over the past few weeks. So um, but uh, glad to have you back. Thank you. Um, and to talk about two very interesting topics um, that we're going to be discussing over the next two hours. From four to five, we're going to be talking about wealth inequality. Who is to blame? It's a topic that I think everyone talks about. And uh, and everyone has got opinion on this, and everybody knows who to blame. And that's what uh, we're going to be talking about. But from five o'clock onwards, we're going to be talking about something. Uh, I think people, some people think it's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a topic of, or it's a title of a horror film. <laughs> or it used to be. A lot, a lot of people would think A lot think of people that, would yes. think that, but yeah. we're going to be talking about exorcism. And we're going to be talking about how religion... Um, is used um, to promote um, exorcism and how people have now, or over the past few years, I would say possibly even over decades, have used this um, uh, <clears throat> this this topic or this title um, and used it as a means to create a business and to to take uh, money from people. Um, in the name of uh, exorcism and how people are possessed and whatnot. And it's something we will discuss from five o'clock to six o'clock. But for this hour, the topic is wealth inequality. Who is to blame? And uh, we are asking a question on uh, our Instagram story. Should billionaires exist? <laughs> that is the question. Um, we already have a few people who've... Uh, who've responded but uh, we will uh, talk uh, we will announce the result more uh, later on uh, at the end uh, of the show uh, brother daniel billionaires yes billionaires, billionaires. Ab- absolutely a, a very interesting topic and i think something that we've uh, we've discussed uh, i mean has been sort of a theme that we've talked about in the last uh, few weeks as well but i think again given where we are um in the world given the the wealth gap given the rise in crime as a result of wealth gap and so many other things happening around us uh, where some people have to choose between heating and eating and you have all of these billionaires. Uh, it is something that um, I guess uh, is is worth talking about and talking about again and again. And again. So again, in the past few decades, yes, brother, you, is, you want to say something? It, do you, okay, I, I agree with everything you've said, um, heating and eating and, and billionaires. Hmm. But when we put them on the same, when we put those two things in the same sentence... It seems like, or it feels that it feels as though we're implying that the billionaires are responsible for the fact that people are having to make a choice between heating and eating. I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but I would say that the system is responsible mm. for for exacerbating the the plight of those who are having to choose, unfortunately, between heating and eating, and and those. Uh, as well, whose wealth ke- keeps on increasing because the system that we're in, wealth attracts wealth. 
Money Doesn't makes it? money. So, um, uh, you know, this is an oft-repeated expression. You've got to make uh, money work harder for you. So, uh, unfortunately, that's what you see in the world. So, as Brother Daniel says, and uh, as I started the show, for the past few decades, financial uh, equality has been rapidly and advancing, uh, rapidly advancing on global scale, a rate which greatly accelerated with the onset of the COVID pandemic. The fundamental truth of the wealth gap is that such extreme levels of inequality we see today are unethical and immoral. So today we're going to try and delve further um, into wealth inequality and explore the viewpoints of Islam along the way. And we're going to be um, looking at uh, the financial system. As Brother Daniel so rightly said, it's about the system. It's, it isn't about individuals. Um, we're going to be exploring and briefly discussing how um, the Islamic system um, would deal with the topic that we are discussing, which is wealth inequality. So, Brother Daniel, how would we define um, wealth inequality? Well, there are a number of ways that you can define wealth inequality. My favorite is the statistic that I had read uh, uh, some time ago, which is that uh, half of the world's wealth uh, is owned by the top 10 billionaires, top 8 billionaires. Mm-hmm. Uh, I beg your pardon, top eight billionaires of the world. So four billion people in this world have the same amount of wealth as eight people mm. in this world. So that would be one definition of it, certainly. But the, but there may be... Mm. <laughs> <But there may, laughs> I, I would disagree with you, but, okay. but carry on. Yes, so wealth inequality is... Uh, the textbook definition is the unequal, unequal distribution of assets among people and organizations... Um, it, un- it encompasses not only lack of financial resources, but also lack of social capital. Every country has different levels of wealth inequality. Uh, you find more, um, uh, a lot more stark examples of inequality when you go to the third world, for example. Uh, in, in Europe, you um, generally the inequality is not that uh, as pronounced as I say. It is, it is quite bad, but it's not as pronounced as you would find in a third world country. Going back to the point you, <clears throat> the first point you made, I agree. Uh, you know, conspiracy theories and whatnot. Conspiracy theory. Eight, eight, uh, uh, eight people. It's a, it's uh, a fact, sir. <laughs> These are factual <laughs> numbers. According to who? Acco- according to according to Bloomberg. No. Okay. I tell you why I say yeah. conspiracy. I think this this idea of eight people only 50 so, 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 so i'm not quoting these numbers you, you know from a from a graffiti on a wall uh, somewhere in east london <laughs> okay <laughs> i i think that these eight billionaires i think it's um it's a lot deeper a lot bigger than that um if one was to look at history of finance these eight people that we talk about, hmm. they've only come on the forefront of financial... Um, in the last hundred years? No, in the last... No, no. Not these particular eight, but yeah, the no, wealth is, in its... Uh, it, ah, you see, there's my point. Yeah. The ones that were um, on the scene hundred years ago, Yeah. they've disappeared. No, they've not disappeared. No, they've disappeared not, uh, from the. They've disappeared from the top ten list. They may have, and they may have gotten uh, uh, disappeared into the top hundred. If that's what you no, want no. to call disappearance. Um, no, it's the other way around. 
So, so you're saying that the Rothschilds and uh, uh, the Goldsmiths and and all of those uh, other people, they are, they're not very rich anymore. They're part and parcel of the new world order. They don't need for the world to know how much money they've got. Again, I did say I started with conspiracy theories. Yeah, there's a conspiracy theory that that can be said. These are just the eight people that uh, everybody wants to talk about: the Bezos, the the. Yeah, the Microsoft the, man, the yeah, Apple the man, Gates, and yeah. you know yeah. the Bill Gates and whatnot. These are the ones who are on the surface. The real money. No, no. So uh, ex- uh, yeah. So so again. Now you are going into conspiracy <laughs> theories, not me. <laughs> Let me correct you here. <laughs> so I am quoting facts, and 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 you're con- <laughs> you're talking about conspiracies. So let's let's focus on facts. <laughs> I did declare. I did declare that we are going to that there are that, that there are conspiracy theories here. But let's go yeah. and talk to our first guest of the afternoon. We have got with us. Uh, Yasser Khan, who is a partner at an accounting firm. Good afternoon. Welcome. Assalamu and peace be on you, Yasser. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you for having me on. Did you listen to our conspiracy theory, he said? I, I, I heard the last few minutes of it and I, I was wondering where you were going to get to. But I, think <laughs> yeah. I, I was able to stop Kayum Sab right at the, at, at, the, uh, at the right time, I, I believe. You see, there's yeah. another conspiracy theory. As soon as I mentioned Rothschilds and the goldsmiths, he stops me. <laughs> there's no, a sinister plot here. No, 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 no. There is no sinister plot here. Um, Brother Yasser, thank you for taking time out and coming on to the Drive Time Show. Um, please briefly tell us about your career. And what do you do as an accountant? Accountant does so many things. In, in today's day and age, accountant is, uh, means a lot. So tell us, what is it that you do? So. Okay, thank you. So at the moment, I, I co-own a accounting firm. Um, we have um, a number of staff and clients here in the UK. And basically, we are charged with ensuring that all of the regulatory compliance in terms of businesses and individuals' um, needs are, are, are done with HMRC and things like that. But generally, we, we offer our clients advice in terms of uh, how to grow your business and, and you know, what uh, methods you can take to optimize your tax and maximize your cash flow and things like that. So we're there to, to help people generate more money, keep more of their money, I guess, in terms of uh, tax optimization, um, and, and generally, you know, make maximum profits that they can. I, I suppose that's the kind of world that we, we live in, which I'm sure we'll come to. But yeah, this is this is what I do now. I've, I've um, spent some time qualifying as an accountant and working at various different firms and gaining some experience. Um, but now, now you know, I, I spend most of my day managing people, I guess, more than, more than doing the so you ensure that people get more of their money in their pocket that they've earned through the I legal think, through the legal system. Uh, uh, clarify yeah, I that. Think, I think, well, I think yeah, yeah good, good. You clarified. I think <laughs> I think the main the main thing is we we help people understand what is happening with their money yeah. uh, and and with the with various aspects of their business with a view that if we can help you um, maximize your profit and minimize your taxes as legally as possible mm-hmm. then um, you know we're having a direct impact on on them and their families and and you know wherever they want to spend their money and you know have more have greater financial freedom i guess for, for themselves 
Yes, sir, the the topic that we are discussing today is wealth inequality, and and you know it's a the, the question is who is to blame, and what comes to mind is something that I started the show with when I was talking to Brother Daniel. Is it really the job of the wealthy people to reduce the wealth gap, and is it really the fault of the wealthy that there is this gap um, between the less well-off and the and and uh, uh, people with money uh, it's it's an interesting one i don't think it's necessarily the the job uh, the job of the wealthy but i think you see the the it's more if we can give them an understanding of their responsibility to society as a whole uh and and help them to understand why they should contribute more or you know r- rather than you see the the world that we live in it's got to be uh, the byproduct of the world that we live in is that people are always fighting or, or, or searching for greater profits, greater cash, because, you know, the, if, for example, you want to turn left in an aeroplane when you get in rather than turning right, because that's where, that's where the luxury and the comfort is. But you can't really blame the wealthy, I don't think, if they have amassed it. But we do need to educate them in terms of how they can also help and the greater society, but that in general comes down to how governments enforce um, rules upon uh, or, or you know laws upon these people to be able to get them to contribute more. And now, Brother Daniel um, said something earlier. He said, well, he, he kind of agreed with me, said uh, it isn't. And as you have said, it's not the <clears throat> responsibility or the blame shouldn't really fall on the wealthy people, it's the system. Now, we live in a a world or we live in that part of the hemisphere where it's a free market. It's we we live in a capitalistic society. Isn't having a wealth gap just a product of living in a capitalistic society? Isn't that what it's meant to create? Well absolutely it is and, and that's and that's where you know, that's why we can't blame anyone for it. It's just the world that we live in, especially here in the UK. That's, this is the world that we live in. We, mm. we give greater reward for those who take greater risks and, and you know, set up their own businesses or, or work harder. You know, the, the inequality is, or, or the system is such that there's a push for maximizing profits. There's a push for greater wages of workers and and rewarding those at the top end of of the pyramids um and and so it's just going to happen that you know the wealth will breed more wealth and 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 the gap will just get bigger and bigger a question comes to mind the big boys the billionaires the big companies the likes of the amazons the googles the starbucks the um you know th- these companies who are not uh, based in this country or say they're not based in this countries and then instead of paying the going rate of corporation tax or um or capital gains on on uh, uh, some of the assets and and uh, the investments they have they negotiate a tax rate or an amount with with the, with the government isn't that part and parcel of the the problem where the rich have a different system and different rules compared to people laymen like us who yeah 
I don't think they have a different system of rules. I just think they are able to exploit it yes. in, in a better way. Yep. Um, you know, these offshore, these offshore uh, companies, and even we saw it recently with um, uh, the MP Zawahi. That's you it. Know, they, yeah, he, he decided, or he was able to negotiate a fee with HMRC that he was just going to pay this amount of tax, and we wouldn't be able to go you and I wouldn't be able to go to HMRC and negotiate what tax rate we were going to be able to pay. So it's, it, it's, there is a class system that has, that has been, I guess, produced from having this capitalist society because those at the top end of the spectrum, the Googles, Starbucks and all of these, they're able to exploit these rules. And, and the problem is that at the moment, they're not doing anything illegal. They're, they're not... Um, they're just exploring the loopholes that the government has exactly. placed the in the system. Are, exactly. The loopholes are there and, they, and they've used them. Um, it's not a loophole that everyone can use. Why is that? That's, there's, there's a question that comes to mind. Why can't everybody else use that loophole? Is that because of the amount of money that people earn? I think it's just because of the, in, in these companies, they're, they're a big, big size company. They're multinationals. They have bases and customers and uh, users all across the world. So it's up to them where they decide to set their base up. If I was to set up a company here, in the, uh, if I wanted to set up a company now, I'd be based in the UK and I'd be and I'd be um, doing my services and selling my products here in the UK, and I wouldn't have any chance to be able to set up offshore um, unless unless you know I go and live abroad or decide I'm doing everything online. You know, there's various ways and means to it, but it, it but it's mainly because they're big multinationals. Now, in recent months, we know that just about every single uh, profession out there, more or less, um, is uh, going on strike um, or is protesting because they are unable to meet uh, a, a standard of living uh, or a quality of life because they feel that they don't earn enough. Do you think instead of giving them pay rises, but to give them more tax breaks would reduce this gap where more money will end up in their pocket um, compared to maybe giving them more money because the current government says, well, we, we can't afford to give more money because it will increase inflation and if incre inflation increases the prices will increase on the market and it will be back to square one. What's your take on, on, uh, on, on uh, uh, maybe finding a solution um, to something I, I, like a wealth gap? I see, I think with, uh, with these public, um, public sector workers, the nurses and the teachers and the firemen and the postal staff, the way, the way that it's currently set up is that you know either if they are given more money or if they are funded with more tax breaks, it's still less money in in, in their the pocket. government's pockets, yeah. in, the, in the government's pockets for them to be able to, you know, run the government. Now, you see what's happened. I think this is um, at least in the in the last few years, the government has spent a lot of money um, in terms of helping people through the pandemic with the furlough scheme. Um, and and giving bounce back loans and and helping people with uh, mortgage breaks and things like that. that at the moment is a very short term view of how we are going to try and 
refill our coffers, or, I guess, um, by not being able to give those pay rises and not being able to give the tax breaks. I'm not sure you would be able to have a system where you'd allow tax breaks for public sector workers and not for private sector workers because then that creates another inequality as well. So there's inequalities across the board, but uh, but you, you see at the end of the day, the capitalist society that we live in, 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 in as far as that there is really no tax on wealth. There's tax on income and tax on uh, on various things, but if a person has, or a company or, or a family has hoarded or managed to keep money across many gener- generations, that money doesn't get taxed, you know, really uh, as it passes down through the generations. And so that's where we have to try and, and, and you know, make the system fairer. So is the solution in tax? I mean, Scandinavia seems to have, uh, they have a higher rate of tax and they seem to work perfectly fine. I mean, the rich um, have a cap on their on their salaries as well. You're allowed to be millionaires, but how much how much um, uh, um, remuneration you have, governments still have a cap on that, um, and uh, they seem to they, they they seem to be working well within the education edu- um, and health law. It seems to be a lot more balanced uh, society compared to, say, UK or Europe or America. Yeah. I- I think it's going to be very hard for, you see, the the way that, I'm not sure about the Scandinavians in general, but certain parts of the world, their lifestyle and their way of thinking is very different to mm. other parts of the world. So you see the in the UK, it is ingrained that you try and make as much money as possible and keep it for yourself and don't think about others. I, I think in a generalist, uh, you know, view. Yeah. Um, and, and in other societies, there's a fairer concept where you know you're going to to try and help those who are in in less uh, in less of a better you know or in lesser a situation than you, and that just becomes part and parcel of it. You see, the what these millionaires and billionaires will tell you is that you can keep trying for success and you'll achieve success and you'll achieve monetary value, but once you've achieved that, then they ask what the next thing is. And you see, at that point, then they might think about giving back or partying and, and, and um, being philanthropic. But by then, you know, for a lot of those millionaires and billionaires. Fine. It's a, Sorry, it's just one on last question, brother. Um, brother Yasser, before I um, uh, allow uh, brother Daniel <laughs> to jump in, <laughs> I'll ask you the question that we'll ask, we're asking everyone on Instagram. Should billionaires exist? If if you are a billionaire and you are and you've made your money and you know you've uh, done something great to be able to amass such wealth, as long as you are being responsible with it, then why not? Thank you. I, I needed somebody to kind of verify. My, no, no, just joking, <laughs> <laughs> brother Daniel. Ver- ver- verify your financial status. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, right. Uh, okay. Brother Yasser, what, in your opinion, is the role of government in all this? And and how big a role do you think government should play to to bridge this gap between the rich and the poor? So we've talked about tax as as, as one vehicle there. You know, we've 
uh, we've seen, for example, antitrust laws. Uh, that's another vehicle. Do you think government has a role? Yeah, I think the government definitely has a role. Government is there to put the laws of the land in place and enforce them. Um, you know, look, we look at our government in terms of in terms of education for our children, in terms of hmm. transport across the country, in terms of uh, any kind of, you know, in the UK, we're given such great things by the government. But there were also, we, you know, we're, there are major inequalities that should also be looked at by the government, I, I believe so. Right. And if you if you build on that corollary, the, the next uh, logical argument would then be uh, what Brother Kiyum was talking about earlier, you know, probably more taxation and, and, and a bigger role of, uh, of the government. If the existing system isn't working, what and isn't working for for a lot of people? I think that would be very very hard to to uh, to take the other position it the the current system the current version of capitalism is not working for the many it is working for certainly the few but it's not working for the many so where do we go from here and 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 do we need to enlarge the uh, the role of government i think the in terms of taxation it just needs to be a a fairer uh, process across the board so where at the moment um those high net worth individuals and, and major multinationals are not paying their fair share of tax in the country. Mm. Um we do need to make that fairer and, and you know maybe we don't allow people to set up offshore and be non domiciled in this country. It's something that we've allowed to make you see, people mention, you know, Panama and um uh, the Bahamas and all of these kind of places as tax havens. But actually, the biggest tax haven is, is the UK, isn't it? Because yeah. of the way that you're able to yeah. set these things up. And we've got our, even our own in the Isle of Man and Jersey exactly. and all of these islands. Exactly. Absolutely. Thank you very much, uh, Brother Yasser Khan, for joining us. Uh, really a pleasure to talk to you. Have a Thank lovely you weekend. Thank you. Peace Bye-bye. be on you. <clears throat> Peace be with you. So that was uh, Mr. Yasser Khan, who is a partner in an accounting firm, uh, talking to us about... Um, about the system that we we have today and what is it that needs to be done. Uh, One very important point that I think was raised in that discussion, which I think needs some elaboration, is is what Brother Yasser mentioned, the lack of tax on wealth. And uh, Brother Kiyum, if I can take you back to the uh, discussion we were having offline before uh, we began the show, and we were talking about um, uh, what what we have uh, a system within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community we do a system of the will uh, or the wasiyat as as it's known in Urdu and the will uh, in English so um, uh, what that system is for those who do not uh, are not aware of the system is that you are um, supposed to bequeath at least 10% at most one third of your wealth uh, to the um, uh, to the uh, to, to a fund within the community and um, that fund is... It's like an inheritance fund. It, it is a wealth. Exactly. It's an inheritance. Well, not exactly inheritance. Well, no. it's, 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 a, it's a wealth tax. It is a wealth tax. It's well, a, actually, I don't like that word. Yeah, you see, I don't it, like correct. the word tax. Correct. 
it isn't. It, you're right. Absolutely. And you have very valid reasons to do that. But the reason I, I sort of mentioned the world tax is because, you know, that's where I'm trying to draw the analogy from. Yes. That there is an absence of tax on these. So we started off the show by talking about these 10 billionaires yes, that's who right. own yeah. pretty much the same amount of wealth as the other half of the whole world, which is 4 billion people. That's, that's, that's a, a very... Uh, uh, that's not a sustainable uh, position um, for uh, for the world. That's not a very good place for us to um, to be in. So, what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, one of the solutions that we have come up with, uh, I should say, well, we the and founder of the and founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community came up with, is the system of the will whereby you bequeath one tenth of your wealth, and that <coughs> particular one tenth of the wealth is then used, and I'm going to um, quote um, His Holiness um, uh, Hazrat Mirza uh, Ghulam Ahmed, the founder uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And he says, whose members shall be honest and knowledgeable, um, um, shall use the funds for the, uh, for the advancement of Islam, dissemination of Quranic knowledge, publishing of religious books and for the missionaries of the Jamaat. And then he goes on to say that these funds shall also be used to help such orphans, poor and needy people and new converts as do not have sufficient means of livelihood. So these funds, these one tenth, so, so just imagine one tenth. So I again, a quick um Calculation. Calculation, back of the annual calculation, hmm. 1100 billion is the total amount of wealth of these ten top 10 billionaires. 10% of that is 110 billion. Hmm. Just imagine 110 billion coming into the coffers uh, to remove, to help orphans and poor and needy hmm. in the world. Uh, again, I, you know, my favorite quote uh, from one of the earlier shows, uh, I was talking to the program manager at yeah. UNICEF, mm-hmm. and she mentioned mm-hmm. that all they need, all, all UNICEF needs is $30 billion to eradicate child poverty mm. in Africa. They do. Eradicate. You see, and I, know, and I know why people give this analogy of billionaires, and I think the, the, the example that you're referring to, I think you were talking about if Elon Musk was to give a small percentage of his wealth, he could eliminate... Uh, the you know po- child poverty in in Africa. However, in the same world that we live in, where he earns this amount of money, yeah. by the time that money he gives, it goes through all the channels and it gets to the recipient. It'll never be thirty billion. Hmm. Because what because did brother, they, what, yeah. did, what did the brother Yasser Khan said? We live in a capitalistic society where every tier that that money will go through, mm. they will look to maximize their income mm. from that money that will go through that channel. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. And that's the problem. And which is when we spoke earlier offline, we were talking about how, yes, we jest about, you know, all these billionaires. And as Brother Yasser said, if they have, if they're responsible with, with their money, then why shouldn't billionaires exist? Mm. And uh, the problem lies within the system that we do follow. Brother Yasser said, yes, of course, we live in a capitalistic society. Free market is the name of the game. We are taught from a younger age 
you must retain most of what you earn and let go of as less as possible through the legal means. Correct. Now that's what you're taught. That's yeah. what we're taught. Mm. So if if that's what we are being taught from the early age, then of course with that comes along that it doesn't matter um, how your neighbors doing. It doesn't matter how your family members are doing. Mm. It's about me, myself, and I. Mm. It's about um, my status, be that on a financial basis, be that in a societal basis. So status matters. And a lot of people define capitalism just from a financial terms. It's not. The mistake people make is capitalism, um, when a society sets up an economic system... Is, is a way of life. Exactly. Mm. And a way of life is a lot more than just money. Mm. This is the beauty of the zakat and the will that you mentioned, that... They are the financial part of Islam. Islam itself is a way of life mm. because it's universal. Yes, it's, It doesn't look take into account your color, your creed, your nationality, your status for what it is. Because when we do go to the mosque, it isn't about your status. Mm. It's about your, your character. It's about your spirituality. Right. But... The reason I say Islam is a way of life, there isn't a single aspect of your living that you will not find in Islam. Every 100%. aspect of it. Sure. And Islam is one of the few faiths. In fact, I'm sure somebody will call and correct me if I am wrong. Islam is the only faith that actually has a prescribed economic system in it. Hmm. Um, the second caliph. Um, Caliph, um, Caliph, yeah, uh, Caliph Omar. That. Yeah, absolutely. You know, oh, he, oh, oh, Caliph Omar right, yeah. was right. the original economist. Right. I mean, if uh, if you were to read some of, in Europe especially, if you um, read some of the books by European economists, they have actually quoted the second Caliph of the Righteous Caliphate hmm. of how he was the original hmm. economist because of the system he brought into, yeah. um, uh, into practice um, when he was the Caliph. Hundred percent, and and to go back to the earlier point you made about this the, the system, the channel, and everybody trying to maximize um, their own pockets yes. within that channel. I think there's a very good example, a beautiful example again within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community of the absence of that in in the charity that we have, Humanity yes, First, Humanity First, yeah. where the expenses are kept to a minimum. Where if you have to travel to Turkey, you, you, you buy the ticket from your own pocket and you go there and you sustain yourself and you spend uh, a few days looking after the needy. But my my, my the understanding poor. was 92 to 93 pence in every pound goes to the, to, to, the, to the needy. Which is one of the highest in the world. It is. It is. I mean, there are other charities. Don't get us wrong. There are other charities who, who are on par. But... The the difference in in uh, in humanity first is um, majority as the ninety two to ninety three pence goes to the needy ninety five percent to ninety six percent of volunteers including the person who runs the yeah. charity a charity which is in fifty two countries by the way right. around the world um, you know other charities uh, the directors and the chairmen earn two three four hundred thousand pounds a year uh, humanity first is run by volunteer correct. Uh, is being chaired by volunteer, um, and uh, that makes a huge difference. Uh, 
and but there's a reason why um, uh, they are volunteers because part and parcel. Islam is two fundamentals, isn't it? Islam can be described on two fundamentals: is worshiping God mm. and uh, um, and assisting his his creation and to help show humanity, um, and because that's one way or the main way to worship God is to help his creation, um, and humanity first does that. And the reason people volunteer is because it increases their righteousness. Something we were talking about yeah. that. The giving of money in Islam isn't about money, just about money yeah. and just about helping the needy. In fact, it's quite a it, from a from from a Qayyum point of view, very warped point of view. It's actually being selfish. I'm giving money to increase my righteousness. Yeah, it it is actually it is it is about yourself. It, it is, is about, about your yourself. own self- salvation. Yes, it is about uh, gaining righteousness. It is about. Uh, becoming closer uh, in the sights of God. Absolutely. In fact, I mean, you, you, when we were talking and you mentioned earlier, when you were mentioning this book, The Will, which everybody can download from alislam.org, the promised Messiah on whom be peace actually has re- mentioned righteousness possibly at the end of every single sentence. Absolutely. If not, definitely every page. So yeah. absolutely. And, and the whole, that is the crux of the argument that, it, it your your life has to be a life of uh, of a righteous person, and only then get, will you be acceptable in in the in the in the sights of God. Brother Raza, peace be on you. You've been quiet all this time. If no, I may I'm, come I'm, to you, I'm, I'm enjoying this uh, conspiracy theory talk <laughs> and whatnot. In the, in for the layman out there, hmm. we when me and Brother Daniel talk about righteousness, how would you define that to the layman? Um, so righteousness, um, again, this is this is a term that comes over and over again in, in the Holy Quran. And ultimately, it, it is the goal. Uh, for example, uh, right now, when we are just approaching the month of Ramadan, this is something that uh, is mentioned in, in, in connection with that as well, that the goal of Ramadan at the end of the month is that you become righteous. But again, righteousness, uh, maybe it's it's a different interpretation for you. It's a different one for me. It's a different one for Brother Daniel or anybody who's listening. But I think, I believe it was the first caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Hakim Alvi Nuruddin, may Allah be pleased with him, who who was asked this question once and he explained it in a, in a, in a very beautiful way. And he says that imagine you're, you're walking through a, a valley full of thorns, full of thorny bushes. And to to maneuver yourself in a way that you do not um, get pricked by those thorns, that's what you call righteousness. So those thorns basically are everywhere. You know, everywhere. I mean, you have uh, cheating, you have lying, you have uh, uh, fornication, you have this, you have that. I mean, you just have to step outside your door and the world is filled with it. To Again, to walk through life and not getting pricked or stung by those the, those thorns, which you know all of these immoral acts, that is what is defined as righteousness, and <clears throat> the expectations and what the do's and don'ts for us as believers, as as Muslims, as people of faith, regardless of which religion you belong to, the scriptures they are the guidelines. So if the scripture says that, do not. Um, steal if the scripture says that uh, you should always speak the truth if the scripture says that you shouldn't 
uh, envy uh, or have jealousy or you know all of these things and to to abide by those rules to make sure that you apply those in your life in every aspect again as you said to make this a way of life not just when it comes to religious affairs not just when it comes to people who you're not uh, friends with or who are not related to you that's when you apply the rules but when it comes to the people of your own um family or your friend circles then you have a different set of rules that's not righteousness so that is ultimately when for example when i started off with the month of ramadan this is basically what it is so god almighty has created or will create creates that atmosphere in the month of ramadan where based on the fact that you're fasting which is only one aspect of it um you don't gossip you don't lie you don't uh do vain talk you don't waste your time with things that are not important but you focus on the things that he has said that you should be doing in in this month of ramadan and at the end of the month at the end of this practice the goal should be la'allakum tattaqun so that you may become righteous and that's just for one month so you can carry that on throughout the year and again every year the fact that we have ramadan is just to tell us that if we can be good if, can, if we can be righteous in the month of ramadan what is there to stop us that we can continue that and continue that lifestyle that we have and we 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 adopt or we make in in this month for these 30 days what's there to stop us to continue that for the rest of the year wonderful going back to the station um we were having Uh, earlier brother daniel we were talking about tax rates right so i thought let's go and have a look what's the tax rate in uk what's the highest for the richest 45% 45% now yeah ivory coast charges 60% on personal income mm-hmm. 60% so every 100 pounds you earn 60% 60 pounds will go to the government right finland so ivory coast is an african country we know it's not well to do So let's take that out of the bracket. Right. Finland is 56.9 oh, it's nearly 57%. Right. Denmark 56%, Sweden 53%. This is on per your standard income. Everyone yeah. pays that. Yeah. Cal corporate rate co- uh, corporation tax or corporate taxes. I think in this country at the moment is 19 and they're saying it's yeah. going to go up to 26 if I'm correct. Correct, correct. In April, the, next month they yeah. or they're saying. Um In Puerto Rico is 37.5%, in Suriname is 36%, Chad 35%. There aren't many European nations, um, but Hungary has 27%, Denmark 25%, Norway 25%, Sweden 25%, Finland 24%. The reason I'm mentioning the Scandinavian countries is because they seem to have, they have found a balance somehow. Mm. Mm. Um, but then... People are generally happy there. Yeah. People are happy. Mm. but people are happy paying the high taxes because they get a return from the government sure that's the key isn't it i mean when we talk of systems systems do matter but governance i think you asked the right question to brother yasser the responsibility of the government yeah if the government is giving back to the people then there wouldn't be an issue would it reminds me of a hadith uh, brother kayum uh hadith which is a saying of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him he said that every one of you is a guardian over someone you will be answerable about the people you are appointed guardian over so from this blessed saying of the holy prophet uh, may peace and blessings of allah be upon him you can clearly see that 
uh, you know, the implication is that for the government, you, which is the guardian of the whole country. So if the government is not fulfilling res- its responsibilities, then it will be held answerable in, in the sight of God. Brother Raza, every time we talk of uh, the wealth and we talk of blaming uh, something, you know, it, it's an option that we've discussed over the past 45 minutes or so. I'm paraphrasing here, and I'm sure you will correct me. In the Holy Quran, when God God specifically has spoken about the responsibility the wealthy have towards people who are poor, hmm. what is that responsibility? So it's, again, one thing I, I think before before we get into this, is that you were absolutely right when we were talking about um, sh- is it is it bad is it frowned upon yep. to just have wealth yep. it's not mm. but if that wealth is not benefiting anyone except you and the people around you then there's a question mark this is where it comes and I think look the world that we live in when you have these top eight people right how many people around the world say, good for you, well done, proud of you, mm. keep going? There's a very, very small minority, handful. handful of people who might think this way. What happens with that? If, if I see, and this is, look, again, this is a, it's, it's a natural thing where humans at the end of the day, you're, you're, it is what it is. People will be jealous. Yes. People will be envious. Because they have not what, what what these eight people have, or even you know, just forget billionaires, millionaires, right? But they do not know how much effort and how much work they have put into that, right? Now we're not saying there's a blank statement. Oh, this is you know some dodgy money, or I don't know how they they shouldn't be deserving that money. Or, it, is, or it's through parents, earned, or, yeah, or, exactly, you know, inheritance, inheritance and yeah. whatnot. But the fact is that look, if you look at the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him again. Did he not have wealth? Oh, he had wealth. He had wealth that you could not even imagine. But he never had wealth just for himself. He never kept any of that for himself. So there is one narration, I think, even uh, in which it says, and I'm paraphrasing here, that even if the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, was given a whole valley full of gold and silver, he would have given it away before the day ended. This is how, how generous he was. This is how he saw... Uh, this is what his relationship with wealth was. He understood that, th- look, this is not something that will benefit you in any other, in any way whatsoever when it comes to the hereafter. Mm. Right? What we tend to forget is that there is going to be a life after we leave from here. So in, in regards to this, it's when we talk about the will, when we talk about charity, when we talk about... Um, you know, zakat, for example, it's there to purify ourselves. It's there to make our life easier, so that at the end of the day, when we stand in front of our Maker, as the narration says, that you will be held accountable. That same system and that same uh, rule is going to apply to to governments and to, to nations. That same rule applies to employers who have employees, or to a father, or to a mother. But as far as that question is concerned, yes, you have a responsibility. If you know, and I think I've given this example before as well. When I went to Ghana, there was, there was one specific house 
that stuck out. Like it was immense. It was huge. It was massive. Like we're talking about three, four stories. People told me there's a pool in there. He's got a landing pad for a helicopter. But right next to that house were people living in 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 house. You wouldn't even call it houses, but in in shacks that had basically. Um, you know, you know those those aluminum roofs roofs. What do you call those? I don't know what they what they call. Are oh, you talking about the tin roofs? The the, the tin roofs basically. Okay. Um, they didn't have running the sheets. The, the sheets basically. Yeah. They didn't have running water. Yeah. They didn't have enough food to eat. So that contrast. What do you think that is causing in that person who's living right next to that millionaire? He's not happy about of that. Of course not. Of yeah. course not. Right. Yeah. So in order for you to create a society. Um, where people are taken care of in order for you to create a society where people can flourish. Yes, sometimes there is an onus, there is a responsibility on those who have more than others. So to take care of the neighbor, to take care of the kinsman, to take care of the neighbor who you know and the neighbor that you don't know, to take care of the wayfarer, to take care of people who sometimes, some people ask, some people don't ask, right? But that, again, is, is the responsibility of the government. That's the responsibility of the state to make sure that people do not go hungry. Mm. People don't end up on the streets. And again, people who have wealth, they do have a role to play in this. They have a role to play. But is do poor people have a right on a percentage of the wealth? Yes, Define that. How how do you do you understand what what I'm asking? You here? see, the Prophet Sayyid Nubi Peace, the founder of the Hamdi Muslim community, he at one point stated, and this is this is uh, in, in in one of the the writings. He says that do not think for a second that wealth comes from you. This mm. is not you. Yeah. This is a blessing from God Almighty. Do not ridicule your your brother who has less than you. Do not ridicule your brother who is less healthy than you. And the words, they're very powerful words. He says that, do you not think that the same God who has given you whatever you have, does he not have the power to take everything away from you overnight? So if you ridicule someone, if you if you if you make fun of someone based on the fact that he doesn't have much or that he doesn't have health or that he's dark or he's tall or whatever it is, people do these things. Do never forget that the same God who has given you that wealth can take that away, who has given you that health can take that away in an instance. So, yes, the ones who are less fortunate, they do have a right on that. If they ask or not, that's a different situation. That's a different question altogether. But it's your responsibility to give them. It's their right as well. But we're not talking about, you know, those freeloaders that that, that we mm. talk about. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about giving them enough support that they can stand on their own two feet. Because begging, again, is not allowed in Islam. Mm. Begging is categorically forbidden in Islam. But again, as I said, there are those people who will ask. But that there's enough of those who will never ask. There's this, you know, you have a self-esteem, you have you have some sort of um, uh, pride as well, which which is which is normal. And those people will never ask for anything. But you know 
in the society as a government as a community you know who's less off and who's less fortunate so you just give them without even their their asking to not hurt their feelings to not hurt their sentiments but to make sure that they can stand on their two feet they can support themselves or that it it serves as as a stepping stone for them to to be financially or or materially stable basically brother daniel i just uh, thought it uh, might be a very fitting end um to read some excerpts uh from the well please the book um, written by the promised messiah uh on whom be peace on whom be peace so um in the well he he talks about various things um but he also talks about the love that um a lot of people have of this worldly life and he goes on to say rejoice and be happy that the field of achieving nearness to god is vacant every nation is in love with the world and to what pleases god the world pays no attention now is the time for those who wish to enter this door that they mustering all their strength show their mettle and win the much coveted prize from god don't think that god will let you go don't think that god will let you go to waste you are the seed which the hand of god has sown in the earth god says that this seed will grow and flower and its branches will spread in all directions and it will become a huge tree so blessed is the one who believes in what god says and does not fear the trials which he suffers in his path for the coming of trials is essential so that god may try you to see who is true in his declaration of the faith and who is false whoever falters in the face of a trial would do no harm to god whatsoever an ill luck would only land him in hell were he not born it it would have been better for him but all those who remain steadfast till the end they will be shaken with quakes of calamities and battered with storms of misfortune ridiculed and mocked by people and hated and reviled by the world shall at last come out victorious and doors of blessing shall be thrown open for them god addressed me and said that i should inform my jamaat my community that those who believe that their belief is not adulterated with worldly considerations and is free from hypocrisy and covetousness is not found wanting at any stage of obedience such people are the favorites of god and god says that indeed these are the ones whose station is that of truth listen o you who can what is it that god desires from you all he desires is only that you become solely his and do not associate any partners with him neither in the heavens nor in the earth our god is that god who is alive even now as he was alive before he speaks even now as he used to speak before and he and even now he hears as he heard before it is a false notion that in these times he only hears but does not speak on the contrary he hears and he also speaks 
All his attributes are eternal and everlasting. None of his attributes are is in abeyance, nor will it ever be. He alone is the one without any associate. He has no son, nor has nor has he any wife. He alone is peerless, and there is no one like him. The will written by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, on whom be peace. Profound words. He hears and he speaks. Yeah. He hears and he speaks. God is alive. God is God. God listens, and he does. And he's merciful. And he's merciful. You're listening to the Draft Time Show Friday 13th. With my, uh, sorry, Friday 13th. Oh. Friday the 10th. With myself, Kiyu, and Brother Raza and Brother Daniel. We're, going, we're coming up to the hour. When we come back, we're going to be talking about exorcism, um, abuse or cure or good business. Um, it is a capitalistic society, so why not? <laughs> let's talk about business. Uh, let's yeah. talk about business. Um, <clears throat> Brother Raza. Yes. Last 20 seconds. Uh, just a reminder, there's a question up still on our Instagram story. Should billionaires exist? A yes or no? And if you do vote, I think it's it's always good to explain why you voted for yes or why you didn't vote for, uh, why you voted for no. If you could do that, leave us a comment on there. That would be quite helpful. You're listening to The Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam today with myself, Reza Kiyum and Brother Daniel. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Welcome back to Friday Drive Time Show, 10th of March, 2023, with myself, Kayoum, Brother Raza, Brother Daniel, and we've just been talking about the wealth gap. And uh, just before the break, uh, Brother Raza talked about the Instagram story, the question we've been asking, should billionaires exist? And the answer is, from most people, they say no, surprisingly. Um, and 33% said yes, 67%, 67% said no. I think Brother Yasser um, gave the correct answer there. If they've worked hard, and Brother Raza alluded to it earlier, if they've worked hard and they use their wealth in the correct manner, then there is no reason to say that uh, they shouldn't exist. Absolutely. Islam is all about... Uh, is all about um uh, distribution of wealth. Exactly. If you, if you are wealthy, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy in Islam. And before we move on to the next topic, there is this misconception. I know Brother Raza always clarifies this. Brother Raza, hmm. the second caliph, Hazrat Abu Bakr. The first caliph and the second caliph, the third caliph. In fact, all the caliphs. 
they weren't poor people. Oh no! There's this. Sometimes people think, oh, the, sometimes the way people describe and 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 when they talk about um, uh, um, uh, stories of how they gave up their wealth, people think, oh, they must have given up everything. They gave up everything they had at that moment. Yeah, and God gave them back. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the key. And isn't more. It? Yeah. Um, they were wealthy. If you, they? if uh, for example, I, th- I think these incidents when the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him required them um, to, you know, and asked him for for any contributions. Th- these incidents happened in Medina, hmm. right? It didn't happen in Mecca. It happened in Medina. Now, think about this: when they migrated to Medina, they left everything behind. So every Muslim that migrated from Medina to uh, from Mecca to Medina. They had to leave everything behind. Nothing was kept. Whatever they could carry, they they took. But basically, the businesses, houses, whatever wealth they had, they had to leave behind. And it was taken by the Meccans. Now, they come here with nothing. Hmm. So you had farmers in Medina, tradesmen in Mecca. The Medinites, they still were there, whatever they were. They were doing their farming and everything else. But when the Meccans came, they actually helped their brothers in Medina to be more efficient in selling the, those goods. They actually those goods. created a brotherhood. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 when you look at you know the first, second, and even the third caliph, I mean, we we leave Hazrat Usman out of yeah. this, and he was he was he quite was, a well, he, he was, he was very very wealthy well. well. yeah, Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And they they never held back. I mean, it was it was like a race between all all of them who can give the most. And again, they did not care for that wealth at all mm. because they knew that God Almighty has given them, He has given them their wealth. He has given them the intellect, the the brains to to make up for their what, loss in, yeah. in, in, in parentheses uh, within a couple of, uh, in a short period of time, which is what they did every single time. Which proves the point. It's not the wealth, which is the problem. It's how you use the wealth. Where the and I think lies. that relationship that you have with wealth. Yes. If you love it too much, it's a problem. Which is the problem in today's that's, society. That's what it is. You know, capitalism tells you to worship the, the you know, the money. Um, I think we'll bring that at, uh, bring uh, this hour to an end and move on to the topic, the second topic of the hour, which is exorcism, abuse or cure. Um. You Brother, mean the second topic of the second hour? The second hour. Yes, yeah, the hour apologies. ended a there while back. Your there. topic didn't. Oh, here we go. There, there's, there, there's an English lesson. <laughs> He's <for me>. back. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> Brother Daniel, exorcism. Yes, I don't know where to start uh, about exorcism. So um, many of us are obviously familiar with the terms. Uh, a lot of us uh, old timers. Uh, well, I should say some of us old timers. <laughs> I uh, laugh we, before you say it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll remember exorcism from uh, from the horror movies, but the notion of evil spirits influencing human behavior or mental processes is used in many cultures to justify various symptoms or experiences. Rituals around exorcism and possessions have sadly been linked to faith, which we also see a lot of in movies these days. However, much um, substance does this actually have? Can we actually link these rituals and exorcisms to religion? A big issue is that exorcisms are actually a form of abuse. A person may be in need of medical attention, but ends up being neglected that medical attention and instead falls victim to exorcisms or rituals. Mm-hmm. Brother Kayum, is that is that true? Does that happen? 
You're asking me. <laughs> that, was, that tone of voice, have, I, do not, you seen I don't appreciate that tone of voice. That scares me, man. <laughs> Look, it is, it's as much as we jest, there is a very serious side to to this um, this practice of exorcism and the understanding of it. Hmm. Um, there is a very dark side to exorcism. And I think I am not going to touch on that because um, I will come to Brother Raza. Yeah, um, you leave all the dark sides that, to him. <laughs> <laughs> come to the dark side. I will leave the dark way the sides to him. <laughs> but the reason I have an interest in this slightly is the education side of it. Because where in societies where there is a lack of education and people rely on um, clerics or religious leaders mm. um, in at one time remote areas, but now we've got to a point where people um, have started to believe in superstitious, um, you know, um, narratives and beliefs. And some years ago, um, it's an incident which has repeated itself um, in Asia subcontinent yeah. Yeah. and in the African subcontinent. And in, in recent years, it actually happened in the United Kingdom. Wow. Um, where a person, um, a, a young adult with epilepsy was deemed as being possessed mm. and a cleric beat this person so much um, under the guise of um, challenging the demon mm. beating, uh, the de beating, beating the beating the demon out of this person yeah. that the, the young person died and uh, it's that that annoys me that um, people use religion as a tool to make money to make money in the most vilest possible way mm. which then what the, the the effect of that is that that's one of the reasons why there is such a hatred mm. for religion itself people um despise i mean everyone talks about everything but they will say let's not talk about politics let's not talk about religion yeah because it's so emotional mm -hmm. that people say it so they don't... Because religion has got such a bad name. Because, because of, of these things. Because of these things. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I know uh, there is a dark... As, as I said, even though we joke about it, but there is a dark side to, um, um, you know, in this world, call it evil. I think all of us as individuals, you know... We have uh, uh, angels and satans within us, if mm. one was to, yeah. um, uh, you know, make it easy. And it's up to us to tap into what we want to do. It is, um, it is a personal choice, but that personal choice is determined and developed by education. And to me, there is a lack of education, which is why I think today's show is, um, is important uh, because we are, we're going to clarify a lot of myths, a lot of misconceptions, uh, and I hope people understand that religion, especially the beautiful religion of Islam, n n no such thing. Um, um, uh, uh, not, not that no such thing, but n practices such as this are way outside the the realm of of Islamic teachings. Um, would you say? Would you agree, Brother Raza? Yeah. I would. I think, um, as is the case with everything, I mean, if you look at exorcism, when you talk about that, uh, you usually 
um, connect that with Christianity. You connect that with, as you mentioned in the beginning, with with some horror movies, something out of Hollywood. But even in the religion of Islam, it's not maybe if you translate it, it would be called exorcism. But rukia, I think, is is, mm, is the term that right. is used for that. And again, you're absolutely right. Even in today's day and age, again, I, I was just reading on on one of the very recent cases here in the UK. I believe it was where um, a couple they just you know openly advertised that have done it people have shared those videos people have seen those videos we're talking about millions and millions of people who have seen that who who are doing this right here and 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 now mm. and th- again if you look at it, the connection with religion who would understand religion better than the Prophet of Islam. Yes. Who would understand religion more than the companions who lived with him at that time. And with all of these things that we say and do, is do we find any examples in the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him? Do we find any examples in the companions where this was the case? So if, if this is coming out today and we see this on on, on social media, news media, wherever it is, there clearly has to be an explanation for that which people are not even aware of or not interested in. Now, there's one point I do want to clarify. Um, such beliefs, unfortunately, unfortunately, it would be... Um, Wrong not to say. A lot of people who call themselves so-called Muslims mm. believe in such practices. Yes. And they are victims um, of um, wrong teachings by clerics or by so-called um, experts in, uh, no. in, in these fields. And, and I think um, this is an education for them and for people out there who generally have a misconception about the term jinn um, and there is a completely magic, different definition black magic exactly there, there, there are there are completely different things and um, today we are hoping to briefly clarify the definitions and the relevance of such practices if any hmm. uh, in in faith inshallah but also, I think, as we mentioned before, from the medical point of view, this is also very important to to clarify what exactly you know, the case that you've mentioned yes. of epilepsy. Uh, we've we've seen pictures, we've seen the news, we've we've heard of things where people mistake that as oh he or she is possessed yeah. by, uh, as I said, jinn or a ghost or whatever you want to call it, depending on the background of the people. And it is something that still happens today. Mm. Uh, we would think, we would believe that it is something that happens in, in, in developing countries and, and pe- in countries where people don't have knowledge, but you will be surprised how often and how common it is actually here in the UK as well or in the Western Hemisphere. Brother Rosa, what's the difference between black magic and the jinn? So... I, I look as 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 we said before this is a very very detailed lengthy and complicated discussion it that is. we can have we, right? yep. but again for the benefit of our the listeners and uh, c- considering the time that we have we're going to 
very briefly Briefly, talk about this and to the point, right? So there's a few things that you can look at when it comes to the jinn. So jinn is one. Hmm. Um, How would you translate that into English, by the way? Jinn is, I would have thought, is also an English word. Genie. No, it's not the genie, genie. is it? It's not the genie, is it? No, it's not the genie. It's not the genie in the bottle, is it? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, the genie is the genie in the bottle. Genie is the... Well, no. Genie is... uh, Well, well, thinks of genie, but thinks of a cartoon character. (laughs) (laughs) He's not Aladdin, is it? (laughs) There's no Aladdin here. Jinn would be um, an invisible... Yeah, so we're talking about... A monster, a ghost, something invisible, which is frightening, which can possess your body, which can make you do things, which are like that, funny that, and creepy at the same time. That's how people define it. That's yes. how people define it, right? Yeah. So, Made of fire. Exactly. Yep. Now, if you look at, for example, for us, right, the the first and uh, foremost and primary source is the Holy Quran. Yes. We know the very famous verse of the Holy Quran in which God Almighty says that I have not created the men and the jinn that that uh, so that they may worship me the purpose of both of their creation is the worship of god almighty and it has been mentioned in the holy quran correct me if i'm wrong i think it's 26 times in different in different parts of the holy quran but also with every time with a different background with a different connotation now one incident that we find in the holy quran and this is an incident that happened after the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him returned from so when he went on his journey to this the, to the city of Taif, where he explained and he, he 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 gave the message of Islam, he was rejected by the people of Taif. On his return back to Mecca, he stayed at one place, which is between Syria and between Iraq. It's uh, no, actually no, there's it's a place where he stayed the night, and people from a place uh, it's called Nasiban. Uh, which is a city between between Syria and Iraq um, of today. They came and they were the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him was reciting the Holy Quran, and they heard the Holy Quran and they were very impressed by that. And this incident is mentioned in two different chapters of the Holy Quran, and one is in chapter forty six, verse thirty, and the other one is in chapter seventy two, uh, verses one. To two. So the one in chapter 46, for example, it says that when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, returned from the city of Mecca, hold on, let me just, uh, from, 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 uh, from Taif, and remember when we turned towards thee a party of the jinn who wished to hear the Quran, and when they were present at its recitation, they said to one another, be silent and listen. And when it was finished, they went back to their people warning them and the the chapter the the uh, you know chapter 72 is called surah jinn Jin. right it is called surah jinn and it is also in the first two two verses it it talks about that specific incident now if you have all of these 26 27 different different narration the different places in the holy quran if you put them together if you think about them if you analyze them then it comes to different meanings right so it's basically hidden beings, mm. hidden entities, hidden people, hidden things that we cannot see, see with our physical eyes. Now, having said that, there isn't there is room, or you can you can basically eliminate uh, or, or 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 derive from that that there are both good as well as 
evil entities. Mm. So it it includes both good and bad, right? Just like humans. Just like humans, exactly. Now, their realm is separate from the human realm. Mm. Having said that, it doesn't mean that the 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 two never meet. But it's depending on the will of Allah. So if God wants that the human realm and the realm of these jinn or that other creation, if that meets, then it will happen. If it happens physically, if it happens in a vision, in a dream or whatever it is, that's that's God Almighty's doing. That's not of ours. So they are exclusive um, from 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 the from the human realm, basically. And as I said, it's mentioned 26 different times. And they have the ability to progress and to degenerate. Now, when we talk about the Holy Quran, um, the Prophet um, Solomon, Prophet Solomon basically um, made use of the jinn. Hmm. So in, 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 that narrate, in, in that part of the Holy Quran, it talks about the jinn came, they helped him, they made those armor and, and whatnot for him. But there's always a logical explanation for that. So when we talk about when the Holy Quran, again, the Arabic language, language in general is that if for the Arabic, for example, if you have one word, it can have 15 different 15 meanings. meanings to it. Yeah. Minimum, sometimes. It can have 25 different meanings. Yes. So when we come to the magic part, again, the, 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 which is called sihir, I found eight, nine, ten different meanings just for that one word which describes it. For example, when we talk, when, when I say hidden, there are different words. Jannat, right? You've heard Jannah, yep. Jinnah. Um, you've, and there are different words derived from that root word of Jinn, which all have the basically the same connotation, the same meaning, that it's something to do with hidden. Mm-hmm. For example, Janin is also an Arabic word which, ta- which refers to a child that is in the womb. Mm-hmm. We don't see that child, do we? It's hidden in that womb. So it's also the same root word, basically, of, of jinn. You also have jannah. We, we yep. know about jannah. Paradise. We, know paradise. paradise. we don't see why, it. Why? Yeah. No, no, it's not, it's not about that. No. If you have a garden, that mm. can also be a jannah. Jan, okay. But we see that garden, don't mm. we? But it's the shade of the trees sometimes that hides things in that shade. Okay. So it can go really into deep meanings here. So a tree that gives shade where things can hide under it that is also referred to as and it's the same same connotation okay. so again this this is just about the the jinn aspect micro uh, uh, what do you call that uh, the microbes b- microbes bacteria mm-hmm. things that we cannot see with our physical eyes they're also described as jinn but unfortunately unfortunately what happened now is that as we move away from the time of a prophet, which is, again, it's a normal thing. Yeah. And when you were talking about, uh, in the beginning, I was thinking about the time of the promised Messiah on whom be peace. Now, when we were talk, when we were learning about that in, in the missionary school, the question always arises, what was the need for the promised Messiah? Mm. Why did he have to come in that age, in that time, in that place? Now, we've done a show on that. Yeah. Just to summarize things, that if you have a time where Muslims are talking about if you if the eating of a raven, is it halal or is it haram? Mm. Was the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was he a human being or was he just light? Mm. In unnecessary discussions. Mm. And so much time is being wasted on that that you would not even believe. So you would have schools of thought 
just busy and focused and the only thing that they're dealing with is was the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah was he light was he nur or was he actually a physical human being are we allowed to eat raven are we allowed to do this so useless discussions mm. and so in that time it was necessary for someone to come and to say you know what this is what it is and this is what it's not the further you move away from the time of a prophet the more diluted that message yes. gets which yes. has happened with every religion oh, yep. you cannot tell me that nowadays when we have come out of those dark ages and medieval ages that all the things that christianity went through that the that the vatican the pope or the church or the anglican church any church nowadays will say this is based on christianity on on christian teachings mm. exorcism we we got this from christianity right mm. the the term and and this whole phenomena you cannot tell me that this is this is christian teaching yeah there's no way jesus has taught about this there's no way that his disciples practiced any of this mm. so for 2000 years afterwards or 1500 years whenever that was happening again it's still happening today you would have these things creep into that religion which has nothing to do with that religion same thing happened with the religion of islam so this concept of um how do you put fear into the the illiterate generation mm. who don't know anything about the holy quran who don't know how to read the holy quran who don't know what it means you can tell them anything yes and isn't that what is happening in in the subcontinent still make a business out of it you make a business out of it mm. so just as when you had the the crusades when people could buy uh or 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 buy away their sins mm-hmm. you just paid the church and your sins were forgiven that is what's happening with the muslim faith now you make a business out of it you say that this or even if that person doesn't believe in possession if you hear these stories you say oh that's a jinn mm. you got to do something about this mm. yeah and it happens here as well even in the uk you can fool people like that i kid you not i had someone call me 2 weeks ago and they said um some one of their non amity friends Muslim friends they called him and said he bought a house and he wants you to come and do the prayer there and he will pay for it mm-hmm. because he thinks the house is possessed now tell me what were the signs there were insects or like you know whatever you want to call it like insects insects yeah it was like <laughs> there was some insects yeah? yeah and there was a a a weird smell in the house okay right there's a billion reasons why there's a weird smell in the house or why there's insects yeah i mean you never go that way exactly. but the first thing that they think about is the house the, is the, possessed the house is possessed and yeah. and and i i need to get someone here to pray and mm-hmm. and and god knows do what and they're ready to pay for that and make you rich the, and make the, you the, rich the worrying part of everything we've discussed and going back to how we started the conversation is victims yeah of such practices are children mm. a lot of the times yes and that's something we want to kind of challenge the yeah. people who who and I would use the word challenge um that who who are doing these practices um to make money they need to think um who they are who they're hurting yeah i i don't think they have um uh, the mental capacity or the or the compassion to to think 
Uh, I don't think they're doing it uh, in oblivion. They, I, I they're doing it very knowingly. They're, no, they're exploiting no, no ethics, no morals, yeah. no consciences mm. who are doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they're That's hurting it. children. But while we're, as we're talking about children, let's go and talk to our first guest of the second hour. Brother, uh, Brother Daniel, it's the second hour. It is the second <laughs> hour, indeed. Absolutely. Thank you. We have with us uh, Julie Taylor, who is a professor of child protection at the University of Birmingham. Good afternoon. Welcome. Assalamualaikum and peace be on you, Professor. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking time out and coming on to the Drive Time Show. Um, Professor, to what extent should we differentiate between what a religious practice is and exorcism as an abuse? As some believers may be strong in their opinion of thinking exorcism is an important religious practice. Well, of course. I mean, uh, having beliefs as part of your religion is, is always very, very important. But I think when we start thinking about exercising children, we need to not immediately jump to the conclusion that because a child is a little different or because they're being naughty or whatever might be happening with them that makes you think that they have um, a possession by an evil spirit, then we need to think about what the other reasons are first before we jump to that conclusion and often that's just an easy thing for us to do because children are sometimes naughty they sometimes um their behavior becomes a bit challenging um, there might be other things that are happening for them so let's not jump to conclusions to begin with and then the second thing i would say is that an exorcism itself is a is really an accusation that you have been possessed by something evil hmm. for any child that is well, for anybody but for any child that's going to be really traumatic for them and so i think just even labeling it that they need to be exercised is is potentially extremely harmful to them and then the exorcism itself can take different forms and some of those forms can be physically as well as emotionally um very traumatic and hurtful for children so we just really need to think about that very, very carefully. Does the practice of exorcism happen today in the West? Um, by all accounts it does, and by all accounts it's increasing. Um, we don't have figures for it, but we know that about 1,500 children were known to have been exercised every year in the last couple of years, and since COVID that seems to have become worse. But that's the tip of the iceberg. We don't actually know. Um, we don't have figures on that. Sure. So, and, and where does this belief stem from in, in the Western society? I mean, earlier on we were talking about you know, third world countries where there's lots of poverty, there's lots of deprivation, there's lots of illiteracy. Um, and one could argue that, uh, you know, in a lot of these cases, that's, that doesn't apply. So what's driving this? Well, um, good question. We know that when... Um, families might be living in poverty and so perhaps that's why it's become worse since COVID. When they're living with multiple stresses, when they might be in new communities or they've newly arrived in the UK, um, they might have new adults being introduced into the household, um, children might have disabilities. But there's lots of reasons, there isn't just one reason, um, but sometimes people who have deeply religious beliefs, whether they're, whatever those beliefs are from, might pick on that this is the solution to their problems. Um, Professor, if I may ask, um, a lot of these people 
uh, and, and I'll declare a conflict of interest here. I have a child with disability and sometimes religious people who come up to me and say some things in the name of religion actually annoys me. And, and, sure. and, and, and I want to discredit a lot of people. Um, this, this notion that um, children are, who are disabled are, are uh, um, uh, possessed or are unlucky or are a punishment for sin and uh, they need to be um, treated from a religious point of view. I mean, such notions, I mean, from what we've been discussing here on, on the Voice of Islam, um, from the teachings of Islam, they, they don't exist, not in real, authentic religion. Are, and I know there are a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of red lines that uh, um, need to be protected when, when uh, um, professionals are dealing with such issues. Should those red lines not be taken away for the sake of the individual? That we might be offending someone who is who's clearly using religion as a tool, or sure. or or as to be honest, to to out of ignorance. Uh, you make a really important point there, and I think I probably agree with you. Um, I think people, you know, professionals particularly, are very worried about offending people. But we know that religions don't ask for this and don't don't agree with this. This yeah. is something that's been taken further by other people's beliefs that they add on and confuse with the religion sometimes. Yes. yes. So we shouldn't be afraid. If a child is being abused, they're being abused. Mm. Exactly. If we see these things happening, then we have to challenge it, of course. And but 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 as you so rightly said, I know that professionals are they get restricted or or, or they get uh, they're afraid of being accused of uh, offending. I mean, isn't aren't what these people doing in the name of religion offensive anyway? So if they get offended, so be it. <laughs> yeah, that I, I I completely share your sentiment, and I think one of the ways that we can help with that is to get faith leaders um, to get. Um, religious scholars involved in those debates as well with us so that it's not just the professional saying that is people from their own community saying this is wrong as well without a doubt without a doubt is it not a crime to to do to perform exorcism in this country um anything that causes harm to a child is um is is a, is a breach of a child's rights and and, and isn't right at all but it's often very hidden so we don't know it and often people don't recognize what is happening as well so it's like any form of abuse children don't often disclose it they might give little hints but unless we know what we're looking for um then we we don't recognize and respond to it so how do we tackle this i mean it sounds like a, an immense challenge that you know it's it's hidden uh, there is some sort of religious inspiration somewhere to do this um Where do we go from here? Yeah, it, I don't know where people get the inspirations from, but we need to recognize that we need to, any signs of things that we see, we need to, we need to respond to. So, you know, if, if children are being kept too cold or if they're not being fed because they're starving the, the devils out or if they are, they've been dipped in cold water or they've got burns or hmm. scars, we need to challenge those things because those might be signs hmm. That children are being exercised without us knowing. The number that you mentioned um, 
uh, at the beginning of the interview, uh, 1,500 uh, is, is probably the number you mentioned. Where, uh, how do you sort of gather that? Um, well, as I said, the figures for these are not are not very um, very accurate. But from um, that's from the figure I just gave you was from a report by the um, the Catholic Church who had seen an increase in exorcisms since COVID. Some of those will be on adults as well. But um, as I said, it, it would be fantastic if we knew. Mm. Um, but we don't. We don't know, and I think it is a complete tip of the iceberg thing. So, so that's the figure that has been officially given by the Catholic Church of the ones that uh, exorcism that they actually performed. Um, that is a figure that a, um, a recent Catholic conference on occult and um, exorcism was a figure that was given at that conference. I don't, I, don't, I don't suppose there was any scientific basis behind it, but of the people who were there, that's what they could gather was happening. Professor, just, just for future purposes, if there's ever any studies or research ever done by the university, um, I, I'm sure we would be more than willing to take part in challenging such narratives where people are doing, especially within the Muslim community, who might be uh, you know, using religion as a tool to, to, to carry out these exercises. So do bear that in mind for future, if you ever do any yeah. study and researches. Um, as, uh, you know, the, 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 the beautiful teaching of Islam is actually for, to protecting children and protecting the innocence of children. And here people are using religion to harm. Um, and yeah. that just doesn't sit well um, within, within, uh, within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community where sure. Islam is being, uh, is being used and abused here. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, finally, what is the best approach that should be taken um, when we are um, talking about exorcism and child abuse? Um, I think that the thing is to, well, the first thing is to be aware that it might happen. The second thing is exactly as you say to say that it actually has no place within our caring and um, religious communities. It just doesn't. Yeah. But we, uh, but we have to accept that some people will use religion um, to hide behind in, in terms of uh, pushing these things forward. So we have to accept that it does happen. And if we accept that, then we might be better placed to recognize it. And to tackle so particularly, it. Head-on. Exactly. So particularly people who work with children, so teachers especially, but also GPs or um, health visitors and so on, we need to just look out for those signs of, you know, the physical signs that they might be being abused in some way or harmed in some way, but also just look at what's happening in the family. What are their beliefs within that? Uh, is there mental ill health amongst the parents? Um, are they living in really difficult situations where they might be looking for something to help them? So we just need to keep a holistic approach to looking at what's happening. Without a doubt. Professor Julie Taylor, uh, Professor of Child Protection at the University of Birmingham, I'm grateful that you have come on to the Drive Time Show this afternoon. I wish you a fantastic weekend ahead. May peace be with you. May be peace with you. Thank you. Thank you. Gentlemen, you know, Sh- I, I, I hear... Firstly, shocking numbers. It is shocking numbers. It is shocking numbers. And, and um, I, I find it frustrating that the professor also kind of was... You could sense in, you know, in in the voice of um, professors that uh, that they're they're 
that sometimes they're restricted by the red tape that we're talking about and and how we you know they have to be worried because the system says you can't be offensive because it might um you know you might hit um a, a gray area um and that those gray areas those gray areas shouldn't be there should they any two two silence mm. no no it Hello? shouldn't be. Hello, Earth Calling. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Drive Time Show. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, 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 has, a hidden, has, has a hidden figure got to you? <laughs> <laughs> the, you know the the the, the clock yeah. is spinning right now, so it's buffering the th- the thoughts about. No, I I agree with you. It, when it comes to health, when it comes to the well-being of, in this case, case a child. Mm. No religion ever would uh, tell you to do these things. So if that religion is offended, so be it. Yes. Right? Because religion has got nothing to do with it. It's, it there's nothing, yeah. There's no connection with that, right? Hmm. And look, uh, I mean, I can speak on behalf of, or from, from the Islamic point of view, there are enough reasons for you to not make that link hmm. simple as yeah right i mean we talk about shirk all the time right don't yep. we associating partners, associating with, partners with allah tell me that if does that not borderline with shirk no borderline it's directly it, it, it's directly, directly associating partners I mean, with although you are using uh verses of the holy quran you're using prayers and whatnot but that's basically taking away from 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 the reality of things that you were supposed to pray for someone you were supposed to pray yourself you were supposed to utilize means necessary to make sure that that problem is solved mm. right it's about tying your camel and then leaving it to allah yep. have you tied your camels you have not tied, tied your, your camels, camels right yep. you're just leaving it straight to allah you're going you're jumping right into something which is not even anything close to closely related to 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 the religion at all Right. Uh, we are talking about exorcism and the practice of exorcism in the West and around the world. Should you like to uh, take part in this discussion, please do call in at 0208687778. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, I'm going to go straight to our next guest for the um, second hour of the show, Helen Hall, who is a senior lecturer with teaching responsibilities in tort contract and family law, as well as associate director of the Center for Conflict Rights and Justice. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much for having me. Um, really a pleasure to speak to you. Um, so Helen, what uh, what are the, who do you think firstly is most at risk when it comes to uh, exorcism? Is it really the children? Is it adults? Is it both? Okay, well, I think firstly, I'd say that um, it, it Exorcism doesn't necessarily involve a risk to anyone. It depends how it's being practiced, and lots of faiths and lots of communities are doing things that are perfectly acceptable and responsible. However, when things do go wrong, um, certainly people who are vulnerable, so children, they're often not in a position to advocate for their own interests. If people are vulnerable because they have mental health problems, Similarly, it can be quite difficult for them to say that I'm not comfortable with what's going on or that I I don't think this is right, the way things are happening, and I'd like to talk to somebody else. Um, So it tends to be people who are otherwise vulnerable who are most at risk. Uh, Helen, did I hear you correctly when you said that uh, some of the practices of exorcism are perfectly acceptable? 
yes, because it depends what you mean by exorcism. And certainly in my work, I've always defined it as a, a right or um, practice designed to free a person, a place or an object from a negative spiritual influence. And if you think about how widely that's defined, um, that will involve lots of things that are, are quite benign, that are a consenting adult is taking part in, and that aren't actually causing any harm to anyone, that aren't violent, that aren't physically dangerous, and that aren't even putting anyone at any emotion, emotional or psychological risk. Um, so it depends what you mean by exorcism, and there are a whole okay. lot of things under that umbrella. I think the fact that you've defined it kind of clarifies a lot. I mean, yeah. normally what we're talking about is, and one of the reasons we're talking about is, is a lot of people, um, and especially children, um, sometimes are, or a lot of the times, are victims of physical abuse. And mm -hmm. so an exorcism done where someone is beaten uh, and someone is physically harmed is, is what we're talking about. And all of that is done in the name of religion. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that you um, differentiated it from a verbal to, uh, uh, um, to, to, to a physical uh, side of things. From a, from, a, from a physical side of things, when people do exorcisms where people are harmed, surely the victims should, only the victims should matter, irrespective of cultural, religious, political, whatever belief system that anybody might have, be it Muslim, Christian, Jew, whatever, isn't the protection of the victim the, the, you know, the given? Absolutely. And I mean, any practice that involves physical harm is going to be unlawful. Um, if you there are a limited number of situations in which it is um, legally acceptable to cause physical harm, that's more than transient. So if you leave any form of a mark on a person, for instance, that's going to be illegal unless it's within an acceptable practice and exorcism is not within the recognized acceptable practices. And similarly, exorcism can be harmful sometimes even when it doesn't involve something physical. If it's um, emotionally and psychologically traumatizing for the recipient, whether they're a child or an adult, that also is wrong and problematic and should not be happening. And in my view, is a distortion of um, the true tradition and the true teaching of mainstream religions. Um, but, you know, just for the benefit of the listener, um, uh, we within the Amdi Muslim community... Um, exorcism of any kind is something that uh, we don't agree with and to us mm. uh, you know exorcism is not just about physical um, and it's also about mental mental health and mental health mm. and physical health do tend to go hand in hand um, would you agree um, absolutely I mean my own tradition um, I'm a Christian and an Anglican and exorcism is is very rarely carried out on a person if ever and would only be done you know after consultation with doctors and the person has to be displaying such dramatic and rare symptoms you know able to speak languages that they don't know um showing supernatural strength in reality people just never tick those boxes so it never happens um, but I do recognize that people have a right to their religious freedom, but that right absolutely stops at harming people. No question. Without a doubt. Um, finally, can exorcism be regarded as myth? Because sometimes um, if one was to look at the media and the film industry, um, the way exorcisms are, are um, sometimes made a mockery of or sometimes used as horror films. 
Where, where does the, where does reality lie? I think that's a really good and important question. And I think it is very real that exorcism does happen. And sometimes it happens in a dangerous and abusive way. And sometimes when I'm talking about this and trying to raise awareness of, you know, the plight of victims, whether they're children or vulnerable adults, it's hard for me to be taken seriously because people who aren't familiar with it think, oh, it's just something that happens in television and films. Things like this could never go on. And the reality that people are beaten, are traumatized, are kept without food and water and are treated in other really dangerous and damaging ways in the name of exorcism. It's, people need to be aware that it does happen. Absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, just just on, on, on one note. Yep. Should that, should that um, Professor, what's the, what's the guideline here? What's the rule? What's the sequence of things? Is that something, if somebody wants to get this done by so-called religious clerics and whatnot, do they have to inform someone or do they go directly there? If that doesn't get solved, then they go to the NHS or to the health practitioners or what's how how does that go about? Sorry, do you mean in, in my tradition? No, 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 like generally here in, generally. in, in the UK, if uh, Muslim, Christian, whatever. Um, generally, there's nothing stopping people just going to a person, either a cleric from their own religious community or even just finding somebody online. Mm-hmm. There are people who aren't even necessarily associated with a religion who will offer various practices. And there is nothing to stop them. And there is nothing that obliges the person who is offering these services to actually say, um, you know, you you need to see a doctor. I think the symptoms aren't supernatural. I think you have, um, you know, I think something else is going on with you. However, I would say that I think it's really important that faith communities uh, work to be responsible and work to try to educate people and to say, actually, these things are outside our tradition or this isn't healthy or we do hmm. believe in medicine as well and i think faith communities have got a really important role in spreading that message and that's exactly what we're doing um helen shouldn't this be regulated i do think that because if there's call, nothing to hide then there shouldn't be a problem with regulation i would completely agree and i think that some um, agreed guidelines of good practice um that would be extremely useful and yes people should not be um reluctant to sign up to guidelines to keep people safe should they what what legitimate reason would there be to refuse exactly that's the reason why i asked that question yep. what's the yeah. method of going wonderful there? uh senior lecturer with teaching responsibility in tort contract and family law uh <clears throat> helen law thank you so much for oh, taking time you. out on coming on to the drive time show um, I wish you a fantastic weekend ahead. May peace be with you. You too. May peace be with you. Thank you so much. Can I just read a couple of lines from our producer, Mrs. Faisal Mirza? Thank you very much for writing this. <laughs> Any exorcism is bad because it blurs the lines by saying it's ever okay. Verbal is bad too. It's like opening the door to fake belief that and, and, and making And that my religious. response to that is that is in our belief system. And if somebody else has a belief system where they do agree with it, we might not agree with it. And but that is their system, and we we cannot um, we, we can give our perspective. We don't believe in it, not in the extent how people do practice it in the name of Islam, hmm. in the name of Islam, and we also don't believe that uh, as uh, Brother Raza, who's also an Imam Raza, gave examples at the time from uh, I think it was an example of Prophet Jesus you gave, um, um, or 
you, you alluded to it from that time. The Holy Prophet. The Holy, the, mm. Sorry, the, and, and the examples of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. But um, we, can, we can stress and we can, re, um, and, and we can confirm what the teachings of Islam are and how we practice Islam yeah. and what, why and how we believe in a certain practice. Fair point. Okay. But it is not our place to make the judgment on somebody else's belief system. That would be wrong. In fact, that would be against the teachings of Islam. Sure, absolutely point taken. And and, and from that perspective, yeah. you're absolutely right uh, that it should be regulated, something that needs to be regulated. Exactly, because see, regulation, that yeah. brings it within the fold of Islam. Yeah. Because it's the it's the victim which is being looked at, yeah. being cared for. Right. And, and uh, um, the, the senior lecturer, she, she clearly said, um, she encourages that. Because the the intention. What do we mm. always talk about? It's the intention that one is is uh, um, um, is is key, mm. isn't it? Absolutely. Wise words, uh, uh, brother Kayum and brother Azad. That's exactly why we have the bald heads and the white beards in the room, <laughs> so that we can have comments <laughs> like that. In, uh, in <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you didn't hear that was that was a dig at both who, of us. Who else, who, who else could think of that? No, no, you don't have a bite there. No. <laughs> we got the bald head though. <laughs> there had to be there had to be a, a, an age thing, but you know, it is wisdom. Yeah, we're, is, we're both on this it, side of the table, so I mean, you, there's you, got you, to be some. You, you need to start drinking the same coffee as me. <laughs> <laughs> But but coming back to I mean we are coming up to the end of the show and and brother Rosa you know there's something we do strongly um, believe that the name of God in the name of the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him in the name of the Holy Quran the perfect book there are Muslims out there who are completely abused this teaching yes. For the sake of money. Yes. For the sake of money. They are saying, they are charging people yeah. money and and uh, and creating hysteria out there where a lot of people are becoming victims. You see, I was, I was reading up on this. How? Because, again, this is not a practice within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community of doing these exorcisms, of getting it done, or um, it's, uh, you know, to... to, to, to to have this in, in any way, form, or shape. <clears throat> it's one in three, yes. And <laughs> and and so I, I actually, yeah, so Brother Kyun was trying to figure out how to turn off the mic. So the, for the benefit of our no, listeners, no, 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 that's the reason why I said one no, in three. No, this is Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> there yes, we go. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, there we go. Now you turned all of them on. Anyways, so I, I was reading up on this. And the funny thing is, there, there are narrations where you will find that, for example, one, and this is from Sahih Bukhari, which is one of the most authentic books. Again, because it's a narration, we don't hundred percent rely on. It, of course, right? this is this is our viewpoint. It's got to be backed if you up. You want to agree with Quran. it? That's your yeah. point. If don't, then by all means. Yeah. If it got, contradicts the Holy Quran, then there's no issue for us to reject it right away. Of course. Now, in that one narration, uh, it goes, and I'm paraphrasing here, that there will be people who will be admitted to paradise. Without question. Yes. Now, there are different groups, and uh, three, four categories. One of them, one of the things that it says in there is that those people who did not ask others to do exorcism or didn't do exorcism, um, those will be the people who will be admitted to paradise. Mm. 
And then I checked up on how, for example, the Muslims here, what's the way of doing an exorcism? Mm. What do you think the way is? Exorcism. Yeah, how to do a Muslim exorcism. How to do that. that see, those two words Did you know together, that? those two words together don't make like, sense My to brain me. is not computing this right yeah, now. It doesn't compute exorcism <laughs> and Muslim. How? Yeah. What? Yeah, it, it's... it's, it's <sighs> Prayers. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we go to sleep, yeah. you say Surah Fatiha, the first chapter of the Holy Quran, yeah. then you say the last three, and the, then the, you yeah. blow into your hands, and then you go... The Quls. The Quls, basically. Yeah. That's one way. Yeah. And then you have different other prayers. Mm. Then you have narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings mm. of Allah, upon him, where he has done his certain prayers. Mm. Now, go back to the original narrations. Mm. Hazrat Aisha, for example, one of the wives of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, upon him, narrated that he used to do that himself. Okay. Every night before going to sleep, he used to do that. Mm-hmm. So, where did that concept come from that I have to go to someone, I have to go to a certain person who is going to do that for me, who's going to blow and and, 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 and say these words and, and say these prayers and all that. There's no concept of that in the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It's the contrary. If you get this done by someone, if somebody does that for you, that on the other hand is considered to be not right. Now we briefly, literally like a minute and, and a half, I want to talk about magic, right? Black magic or uh, the the eye, yes. you know, the, the evil eye the evil eye, and all these things. So going back to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, there's one narration in which it says that there was a time in which the Holy Prophet used to forget things. He would forget that he has visited a certain house. He would forget that this and this is coming up. The logical explanation, again, the mental capacity of a prophet to believe and to accept that someone had an impact on a prophet of God is contradictory to the teachings of the Holy Prophet uh, of, the, of the Holy Quran. But having said that, magic, black magic, whatever you want to call it, does exist, but not the way that people think. Hmm. If you can convince someone with your words, that's called magic. If the if the the start of of that action is not visible, but the impacts are or the effects are visible, that is called that is called magic. So if you have, for example, hypnotism, if you prove something or someone wrong by your argumentation, that is also a form of magic. Sleight of hand. I mean, these card tricks, magic tricks, the kind of a magic th- trick, isn't it? If you use fitna, meaning if you achieve mischief, if you uh, try or use mischief to achieve something, that is also one form of magic. But again, the, the list goes on and on. Thank you for that, Imam Raza. Uh, it clarifies uh, a lot of points. I think, I hope uh, that we've... Uh, I think we should um, do another we, show on this. I think we should. I think we will. More um, you know, we will do this uh, again. Um, our producers who are thanking today, Hani Mubarak, Rabita Khan, Aisha, Tahiri, Aisha Tahir and Tahmina Tahir, thank you for today's show. Um, as Imam Raza said, uh, we would love to uh, take this uh, show on to the next level. Get on it, um, team. Yep. Thank you uh, for for today's production. Interesting shows. Um, thank you to Brother Daniel. Thank you to Brother Raza for joining me today. Thank you to all of our guests for taking time out and coming on this afternoon. Thank you to you, the listener, for, uh, for listening in. Um, please forgive any shortcomings on our part until we meet again. And of course, Assalamu may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.